to Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. As they say, we love yakking about tax. And today we are talking about the tax issues for the not-for-profit sector. COVID stimulus measures like cash flow boost and JobKeeper payment are available to not-for-profits that have employees. Today on Tax Shack, we've invited a representative from the ATO to talk about the ATO's approach to dealing with the not-for-profit sector, current tax-related issues for the sector, and particularly COVID-related measures. My name is Michael Doran, and I'm a director of Tax Ed and your host of today's podcast. TaxEd provides taxation support and education services to a range of government bodies and not-for-profit organisations. Our members include government departments, local councils, hospitals, public benevolent institutions, charities, sporting clubs, education providers and more. If you'd like to know a bit more about TaxEd, please have a look at taxed.com.au. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Moltisanti. Jennifer is an assistant commissioner with the ATO and leads the not-for-profit centre and government. Jennifer joined the ATO in 2003 when she was promoted from the Australian Customs Service. Jennifer has a broad experience in public sector administration, including a role with Australia's delegation to the OECD, which involved a contribution to the base erosion and profit shifting package in October 2015. And I hope Jennifer won't mind me mentioning that she's fluent in several languages, including Italian, French, and basic Spanish. And so on that note, benvenuta, bienvenu, and bienvenidas. Welcome, Jennifer, to Taxiac. Michael, thank you. Grazie. Merci beaucoup and gracias. <laughs> um, thank you for inviting me to Tax Banters, Taxiac. I'm um, very honoured to be here this morning. Tremendous. Well, look, through this podcast, we'll talk about a few things, but but let's, um, I suppose, talk about the personal side of dealing with, with everything that's happening at the moment. I would imagine the tax office is an incredibly busy place to be. Um, in addition to rolling out these COVID measures, um, you're probably doing that in, with the challenge of working from home across the organisation. So first and foremost, how are you going? How's the team coping with it all? Oh, look, um, Michael, it's been incredibly busy, but um, I think for not-for-profits, it's actually been busy since October last year because of the bushfires as well. So we've just transitioned from the bushfires right through COVID-19. I, I think like the community, these are unprecedented times and we're doing everything that we can to work together with the not-for-profit sector. So. The team is faring really well. Um, we're very um, lucky to be working in such a committed and passionate sector. Absolutely, and I think um, you know, on, on behalf of of you know the tax ed membership, the broader not for profit sector, as I see it, and, and certainly tax practitioners, we thank the ATO for what they are doing. We know they're working. Uh, in in, under incredible pressure, uh, something that's kind of evolved so quickly. Uh, so we certainly appreciate what you're doing. Uh, today, though, we're going to focus on the not-for-profit sector. Um, there are estimated to be some 600,000 or so not-for-profits in Australia, although it's always a bit difficult to measure because there's no uh, single kind of reporting system for them all. But the sector plays an incredibly significant role in the Australian community uh, in terms of the services it needs to deliver and its engagement with the Australian public. 
Uh, obviously, the sector has been heavily impacted um, in terms of its ability to deliver its normal services, and, and they're obviously very important services to the Australian community. But second, secondly, and also very significantly, the final the financial impact um, that, that that the COVID situation is causing for people in terms of their ability to continue with their normal kind of revenue models, their ability to raise funds and, and deliver revenue. And that may be actually felt into the future when we start to transition out of the current situation, the terms of the ability the ability of the organisations to have funds to continue to deliver their very important services. So before we go on though to speak about some of the specific COVID measures, what I would really like to hear about, I suppose, and I'm sure our listeners would too, um, Jennifer, if you could please elaborate, I suppose, on how the ATO is going about engaging with the not-for-profit sector, uh, the size of the sector, and very importantly, the role of the tax officers not-for-profit centre, who it's looking after and how it's trying to do that. Oh, look, thank you, um, Michael. Uh, look, I think I might start by saying that, um, you know, really, we know that many not-for-profits and the communities are being heavily affected by the challenging economic conditions um, that have been created as a result of COVID-19. And I suppose I'll say right from the get-go that our priority continues to be to get the vital assistance to Australian to the Australian business community as quickly as we can on behalf of the government, and that means to the not-for-profit community as well. Now, um, you asked, you know, how do we do that? So, predominantly, you know, we do that um, through various consultative um, sort of forums. We have um, a very important not-for-profit stewardship group that we maintain in the ATO. It is one of um, nine um, main um, stewardship groups that we have, and there are many not-for-profit um, representatives on that um, stewardship group. And so a lot of the key messages are actually pushed out um, through that group. And of course, most of the not-for-profit community um, does communicate through my office, and we give clear passage to any of um, the, the questions and issues that come through my office so that we can get um, an answer to the community um, really quickly. So our priority really continues to be to get that vital assistance to the not-for-profits as quickly as we can. You mentioned, Michael, the size of the sector and the fact that there's an estimated 600,000 indeed. Um, I think I might just spend a couple of minutes just going through the particulars. There are, of that 600,000 not-for-profits that we think, you know, are, or that we know are in Australia, 201,000 of those are actually registered with the ATO and have an active ABN. Now, most people, when they think about not-for-profits, think, oh, they're all charities. Well, we've sort of broken that 201,000 down a little bit, and it'll be interesting to the audience to understand that 28% of that 201,000 are charities, which means that they're registered with the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission. We then have a whopping 68% they self-assess as tax exempt. And so that means that they don't pay any income tax. And then we have a very small population, about 4%, who are actually taxable. And that means that they actually lodge an income tax return at the end of the year. Again, of that um, 201,000, 
15% are deductible gift recipients, and that means that they can accept donations, which are then income tax deductible by the donors. 31% are GST registered, and 20% have employer obligations. And so when you put all of that information together, it's really interesting to know um, how significant um, the not-for-profit sector is. It employs about 10% of Australia's workforce, it represents 10% of all FBT registered employers. And there's a large amount of money that actually flows through the system. So if we think about just some of the claims that we see in 2016-17, not-for-profits claimed about $1.1 billion worth of franking credits and $3.5 billion of donations were received from about 4.5 million Australians in the same year. Additionally, not-for-profits receive on average about $6 billion worth of government grants on an annual basis. And the reason that I focus on those figures is just to let you um, know that there are big amounts flowing through the system. So most people sort of think, oh, not-for-profits, nothing to see here. But there's a lot of money that actually flows through the system. You mentioned, Michael, you know, um, you know, how is um, the not-for-profit sector faring? And I think that I mentioned um, at the beginning that, you know, 2020 for not-for-profits really began in a blaze of flames. And throughout the fires and in response to the national crisis, not-for-profits really worked tirelessly side-by-side side with the first responders and communities. And I know this because I was right there with them. And the demands of the bushfires and the COVID pandemic have really at this point converged. And this has created a really tricky paradigm for the really important services that not-for-profits deliver. You know, think about it for a moment. For a service, for a sector that relies on social and physical connections, volunteers and the goodwill and generosity of donors, the impacts of COVID-19 have been particularly difficult, especially with the physical isolation and also the downturn in the economy. So my office has really canvassed a lot of concern from the sector. But what has been really, really wonderful has been that welcome relief with respect to the response and support that we've been able to provide more broadly to the sector. And that really goes to the heart of, you know, how the ATO is helping the sector. And I think that there have been a range of administrative measures that have been implemented for not-for-profits. And this includes additional time um, to support new or existing DGR endorsement applications and prioritising all inbound inquiries to the not-for-profit premium phone line. Um, our services, as you know, Michael, are tailored to the needs of the community and we work really closely with the sector to provide um, tailored support for individual circumstances. We can also do particular things like deferring some payments, providing quicker access to GST refunds, varying pay-as-you-go instalments, and allowing not-for-profits to enter into low-interest payment plans for existing or future tax debts where they may have a tax debt. And that really goes to the heart of the not-for-profit centre role. So the not-for-profit centre was put into place about uh, 14 months ago by the ATO. And it's not to say that we weren't you know, focused on the not-for-profits prior to the establishment of the not-for-profit centre, but we had it sort of spread all over the office. And so about 14 months ago, the ATO decided to bring it all under the leadership of one assistant commissioner, which is myself, 
And so we worked with the sector and with the stewardship group to work through what our role, um, you know, was um, intended to be. And so our role is really to provide the government and community with confidence and assurance that not-for-profits are supported to deliver those really important services that they do, that they access the right concessions, that they operate for purpose and that they meet all of their tax and super obligations. And this is really important and I spend a little bit of time whenever I'm doing a presentation working through our role because the integrity of how not-for-profits operate is really important, not only to government and the community, but to the not-for-profits themselves. And it's the first time that I've gone to a market segment and said, you know, we want to make sure that you're operating for purpose. We want to engage with you more. We'll be checking things. And they really embrace it. They really embrace um, that assurance that they get by the engagement that they have with us. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. I think the sector does know it's in a kind of a very uh, privileged spot in, in the community in terms of what it's doing and the respect that that engenders with the community, but also knowing that it it is well supported by the government and the tax office and it needs to kind of honour that, that commitment and obligation as well. I, I would imagine, Jennifer, that there'll be plenty of people listening to, to us chatting and wondering, I've got this burning question, where in the tax office can I go? to get an answer. Okay, so a lot of people actually come directly to um, my office and that's not a problem. We give um, all, all questions um, clear passage, but there are four main ways. So obviously our website, we have a general advice, um, you know, location for not-for-profits. So it's ato.gov.au not-for-profits. But we've also just released a new one-stop shop page for not-for-profits to access all COVID-19 related support and assistance material. So that's under the banner of support for not-for-profits. So if you go into our COVID pages on the website, you will actually see um, a banner for support for not-for-profits. And I would encourage everyone to have a look at that because a lot of the material that um, we're covering in our chat today is actually reiterated and reinforced um, on that web page there. The not-for-profit sector also has um, a premium ser a phone service line that it can avail itself of. Um, the number is 1300 130 It's operational Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And I have my staff that actually manage that phone service and they are always very um, willing to help. And those that use that phone line know that it, um, it is very specific and tailored advice that we provide. So it's not the general phone line. And if you're not able to get um, to that phone line at those times, you can always email us at atoendorsements at ato.gov.au. Now, if I've spoken too quickly, um, I know, Michael, that you will provide all of these details um, as part um, of the podcast being released. And the final thing that I'd like to say is that we also um, have a not-for-profit newsletter, which um, we publish on a monthly basis. And I would um, invite everyone to subscribe to that newsletter. And subscribing to that newsletter means that you get the latest information, which we push out, but I also provide um, a monthly column, so from the source, so you'll get to hear from me on a monthly basis as well. I think I may have had uh, that newsletter this morning, Jennifer, it was a quite a good read so thank you for that and plenty of information and one thing 
with I suppose what's evolved over the last few months, we're now at the point where it's really all coming together in a single spot, which is great. So I think new, newsletters like the uh, the not-for-profit newsletter, and particularly today's editions, uh, today's edition, is is excellent in that it's pulling it pulling it all all together in the one spot. Um, if you're okay, we may move on generally to discuss the specific COVID relief measures. And, and we're not going into the corners of them in, in this chat. Um, generally, we'll, we'll ha have a chat about both of them in terms of how's the ATO going, dealing with the sector uh, and getting them implemented. And secondly, I suppose, again, if there are any problems, if people have problems and issues, just to reinforce where they can go for some help. So, so you know, back to late March, I suppose we had the cash boost initiative announced by the government and not long after after we had the JobKeeper initiative announced. And fundamentally, both of them are available to the sector, uh, subject to certain conditions, but basically provided the, 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 the not-for-profit is an employing entity. Um, the cash boost on face value seemed the easier one of the two to implement in that you didn't necessarily have to apply. Um, perhaps you'd like to talk a little bit now about the cash boost initiative, and then we'll have a little chat about the JobKeeper yeah, sure, Michael. Um, so I think it's interesting to note that before I specifically go into cash flow boost, that Parliament actually passed four measures in March and April as part of the economic response package. And two of those measures, as you say, Michael, the cash flow boost and JobKeeper payment scheme, um, most not-for-profits will be accessing um, those two. But there are the other two measures that may be applicable for taxable not-for-profits, and that's the instant asset write-off and accelerated Appreciation. And whilst I won't be focusing on those today, if any of um, the listeners to this podcast have any specific questions that can't, aren't answered um, from our website, I'm more than happy to take those um, questions um, on notice. So I just wanted to mention that because we do, we will be focusing on cash flow boost and JobKeeper. So from a job, from a cash flow boost perspective, I think you know right from the get go, we'll sort of say the cash flow boost provides a credit of at least $20,000 and up to a maximum of $100,000 um, and it's delivered automatically through the activity statement lodgement process. And it's really important to note that because um, it's something that happens automatically if um, you meet the eligibility. And so let's um, turn our minds then to the eligibility. So small to medium businesses and not-for-profit organisations, including charities um, that employ staff. So you have to have employed staff. That's one of the major um, eligibility criteria. Um, and not-for-profits are eligible if on the 12th of March, they held an active ABN. So they have to have held that active ABN on the 12th of March. And for charities, um, they have to have been registered with the ACNC. So that active ABN um, issue doesn't apply to charities. For charities, um, the eligibility criteria really rests on them being registered with the um, ACNC. The not-for-profit also has to have had um, an aggregated annual turnover of under 50 million and made eligible payments subject to withholding even if the amount withheld is zero. And that really goes to the heart that the whole point of cash flow boost is that um, you've actually got employees. So you've got a, a pay as you go withholding um, obligation. 
And the other really important point about cash flow boost is that the um, support that's provided through the boost um, will happen in two waves. The credits, as I mentioned, are delivered um, uh, through two waves, covering periods March to September of this year. Wave one, we refer to that as the initial cash flow boost. And that initial cash flow boost is delivered as credits applied to monthly and quarterly activity statements lodged for periods March 2020 to June 2020. So most people will have already um, received that first wave. Wave two is what we refer to as the additional cash flow boost. Now, eligible entities that received that initial cash flow boost will receive an additional cash flow boost for the periods June to September 2020. Now, the additional credits will be equal to the total amount of initial cash flow boosts received, and they will be delivered in either two instalments for quarterly reporters or four instalments if you're a monthly reporter. So if I had to sort of summarise all of that, because that's a lot to sort of take in, you know, for not-for-profits, I, I often get the question, well, what do I need to do as a not-for-profit? Well, if you're eligible, you actually don't do, need to do anything because you don't need to apply. Your first amount will be automatically credited to your account when you lodge your activity statement. So all of that um, matching of information and data and making sure that um, the payments that or the credits that are posted to the accounts are correct, that's all done internally by the ATO but you must lodge your activity statement to receive the cash flow boost. And the cash flow boost, as I said, it's credited against amounts owed in the activity statement. So for example, if um, there is a pay-as-you-go withholding and GST payable, um, the boost credit will reduce those amounts on your activity statement. If there's an excess credit on the activity statement, which received the cash flow boost, the credit will be refunded rather than offset against um, any existing debt. And if you're due to receive a refund, we are generally paying it within 14 days, but my understanding is that it's happening um, much faster than that. So again, with that priority being to get that assistance and support out to the not-for-profits as quickly as we can. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, as, as I noted, I think the the, uh, the cash boost was certainly the easier one of the two for the sector to 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 understand. And I suppose the only point would be if, if an organisation thought that it would have been getting a credit, um, but it doesn't seem to have eventuated as yet. What would you recommend? What would be kind of the the, the best uh, contact point for the tax office? Look, I, I think I've given, uh, I've provided the four ways that you can actually um, contact us, but certainly um, you can send us an email and we'll follow it up. Or alternatively, you can call um, our premium phone service. And again, um, an officer will be able to um, assist anyone that is in that predicament, Michael. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, that, that's right. I mean, I think uh, we're, as as we understand it, the turnaround times are, are, are very good. So if, if anyone there's wondering what happened to their cash boost credit or, or refund, jump on the line to the tax office and yeah. And just and just to reiterate and just to reiterate, Michael, that um, phone service number it's one three hundred one three zero two four eight. Um, and so you have not for profit staff um, that are able to answer not only um, any questions that you might have with respect to the cash flow boost, but any more general questions pertaining to not-for-profits. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks, Jennifer. Well, let's have a little bit of a chat about the JobKeeper initiative. Um, 
little bit more detail to this one and figuring out whether you are or are not eligible. Uh, but again, you know, it's pretty well stepped out in the information that's available. Um, obviously, you know, uh, not-for-profit entities need to be mindful that 31st of May is, is a kind of a quite an important deadline for, for having enrolled in the in the scheme if, if you're seeking to to receive payments in relation to the um, to the kind of um, earlier periods. So perhaps if you if you run us through the highlights of that scheme and, and any particular kind of points you'd like to make about it. Okay, so as you said, um, Michael, this one's um, a little bit more detailed, so, and uh, there are a lot of things that the not-for-profit actually needs to do. So I might systematic systematically um, walk through it. But in essence, there are three major steps that um, you need to complete as a not-for-profit. So the first one is enrolment. And as Michael, you've mentioned, that's now open until the 31st of May. So there's still a few days. If you haven't enrolled, you can still enroll. Um, the second step is identification of employees. Now this has been available since um, the 4th of May. Um, and so every month you actually need to identify um, your eligible employees and get them to complete a notification form. And we'll go through that in a few, in a few moments. And the third step is the monthly declaration. And so every month, um, everyone that is participating in the JobKeeper scheme needs to confirm that the eligible employees that they've nominated have actually been paid. So there are three steps that you need to um, have undertaken. One, the enrolment, two, the identification of eligible employees, and three, that very important monthly declaration. So let's look at first the employer eligibility. And uh, again, I reiterate that a lot of this information is provided on our website. We've got um, some guides on the website to walk you through exactly what you need to do. But I think, um, you know, what I will provide um, this morning really just um, highlights the key points. So from an employer perspective, not-for-profit organisations will be eligible for the JobKeeper scheme if on March the 1st, the not-for-profit pursued its objectives principally in Australia. Now, this is a really big one um, for not-for-profits. Um, additionally, they have to have employed at least one eligible employee. So you have to um, actually have employees. Um, the third point is that the not-for-profit satisfies the decline in turnover test for the relevant period. Um, these are the three you know, major um, sort of points um, that go to employer eligibility. And, and really, when we look um, uh, at not-for-profits, you need to make sure that the not-for-profit satisfies the declining turnover test for the chosen test period by cal calculating and comparing current and projected GST turnover using modified rules for JobKeeper. And so what does this actually mean? For ACNC registered charities, so remember that 28% that I said are registered with the ACNC, other than schools or universities, so school, not schools and universities, just the other um, ACNC registered charities, they need to satisfy the 15% decline in turnover. Organisations that have a, an aggregated turnover of one billion or less, they need to satisfy a 30% decline in turnover. And any organisation with an aggregated turnover of more than a billion dollars, they need to satisfy a 50% decline in turnover. So um, they are really important um, decline in turnover, um, you know, tests um, that not-for-profits need to um, be mindful of. 
Now, ACNC registered charities, other than schools and universities, can elect to exclude government grants from the turnover test. Now, the nomination form to make that election um, can be found on our website. Um, one of the questions that we often get um, from not-for-profits is, you know, do I need to do this test every month when I'm doing my declaration? And in fact, no, the test only needs to be satisfied once. So if you've used March as your comparable period um, and you are eligible as a not-for-profit, you don't need to do that test um, every month. You only need to do it once. Now, another important point is that not-for-profits who are wholly owned by an Australian government agency or a local governing body are excluded, as well as those organisations that are in liquidation. So that really covers the main points from an employer eligibility perspective. Let's turn our minds now to the employee eligibility. So from an employee perspective, you've either got to be an Australian um, resident, and there are some rules there around that. Um, at, on the 1st of March, you have to be, have been um, over 18 years of age. And if you're 16 or 17, you may also qualify, but that's subject to certain um, conditions. And again, um, all of that information is on our website. On the 1st of March, you need to have been employed as a full-time or part-time or a long-time casual then that means more than 12 months with regular systematic employment, you know, to be eligible. You need to be currently employed, um, including if you stood down or rehired if employed on the 1st of March. And you can't be receiving JobKeeper from another employer. So you can only receive JobKeeper from one employer. You can't be receiving government parental leave or dad and partner pay. And you can't um, be receiving payments under an Australian workers' compensation law for incapacity um, for work. So there are the um, eligibility requirements for um, your employees. So, Michael, um, so once you've gone, um, you've understood that, you need to actually look at enrolling um, for JobKeeper. So, not-for-profit entities, like all um, other employers, need to meet eligibility requirements, um, you know, to qualify. And not-for-profits need to check that their employees meet the eligibility requirements. And this means that they need to provide them with an employee notification notice, and that needs to be completed. So if employers enrol by the 31st of May, the end of this month, they will still be able to claim for the JobKeeper fortnights ending in April and May, provided that they meet all of the eligibility requirements for each of those um, fortnights. So as I mentioned, um, Michael, we have created JobKeeper guides, which provide a practical step-by-step -step summary to help not-for-profits enrol according to their circumstances, the number of employees that they have, and whether they use single touch payroll or other reporting arrangements. So we've really tried to make it um, as easy as possible. If the not-for-profits um, is using the business portal, you do need to have a MyGov ID linked to your ABN in the Relationship Authorisation Manager to enrol. Um, if you are using a registered tax or base agent, they can also enrol on your behalf and they identify and declare for JobKeeper on your behalf using the online services um, for agents.
Excellent. Yeah, there's a there, there, there's a bit to it, but you've stepped us through it very well there, Jennifer. And as you say, there's a, a there's a ton of information on the website, um, and I think, and I, I, I'll ask you your view on it. But it, it, it seems to me that it's very important that a, that an organisation seeking to claim a JobKeeper can can demonstrate sometime down the track that it followed the steps, it considered the right questions. And so documentation of, of particularly someone that proceeds to claim JobKeeper is very important that they considered the right things. So what would you perhaps like to, to say in terms of the sector about documentation and record keeping? Oh, look, Michael, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. We get quite a lot of questions with respect um, uh, to this because it is a self-assessment um, system and, and, and people are getting money and, and they're sort of thinking, you know, is someone going to come back and um, get take this off us? But one of the main, one of my main tips for not-for-profits has been to maintain good records to explain how you determined your eligibility. Now, this can include, you know, the methods that you use to calculate the decline in turnover and the reasonable steps taken to align with ATO advice. So it can be as simple as, you know, just your working sheets and how you worked out your calculations. So it doesn't have to be, um, you know, spreadsheets and things like that. But you need to sort of have some record of how did you arrive at that calculation um, for the turnover test. Um, you also need to record any election to exclude government payments received. Um, you also need to perhaps, you know, keep records on you know, which individuals claimed for were eligible employees at the relevant dates, especially if you're a larger not-for-profit. Um, and you also need to make a note of the significant impact of the external operating environment on um, you as the not-for-profit, as the employer. So they're just some some, some key tips from a, a just a, a good record-keeping perspective um, that not-for-profits might may like to take into consideration um, to ensure that, um, you know, they got their affairs in order. Yeah, that, that's that's excellent advice. Uh, do you do you see any kind of emerging issues in terms of uh, particularly specific elements of the of the not for profit sector and whether there there are any particular issues um, as to what their turnover is or what their decline might be. Uh, for instance, I, 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 I've heard in in recent weeks there's been a little bit of an issue emerging with sector participants that are involved in the national disability and insurance scheme, perhaps about how they should uh, count, you know, what is their turnover? Um, anything you could perhaps elaborate on there for us? Yes. Um, so, so some of the main questions that we get um, are with respect to the decline in turnover tests. And I think that there's a lot of information on our website about that decline in turnover test. And for those that um, sort of want the more, um, you know, legal detail, we did actually publish our law companion ruling um, that looks specifically at the decline in turnover test. So um, I would encourage, um, you know, anyone that's interested to have a look at that. Our general guidance is under the tab of declining turnover tests on our website as well. Um, so we do get a lot of questions about um, the declining turnover test, as you can imagine. But as you mentioned, Michael, yes, we did get quite um, a lot of questions with respect to whether an ACNC-registered charity 
can exclude payments received from providing um, NDIS services from its turnover. And so um, on a few weeks ago, oh, actually, I think it was last week, we actually clarified our view. And basically, the um, answer to that question is no. Um, payments received for providing NDIS services are not consideration provided by an Australian government agency, even if an NDIS participant selects the National Disability Insurance Agency to manage the plan and pay the charity. The payment, because the payments are made from the NDIS participants' funds, um, they need to be included in the turnover for calculation. So I think that's an, a really important um, qualification um, to make um, for the NDIS um, services. So the fact that you, you do need to include in the turnover calculation those NDIS payments. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. And that law companion ruling that you mentioned, that's LCR 2020-1. That is an excellent resource for anyone who's looking for a bit more technical detail on, on how things works. Um, and I think something I, I, I suppose I appreciated in, in the tone of that document is inevitably here, there will be people that may have claimed when perhaps they shouldn't have. Um, I don't see that the tax office is really intending to take accidental claims uh, to task, but um, can, can you express kind of any comments regarding what, what the ATO approach will be if, if someone has made the, the best fist of determining whether they should or shouldn't claim it, but perhaps you know, has, has got it wrong? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, Michael. So as I mentioned earlier, Eligibility for JobKeeper payments is a self-assessment process, but as always, the ATO may review your eligibility. Um, and so this is why it's important to have those you know, good records because we would expect to see the records that you have prepared to explain how you determined your eligibility for JobKeeper payments. Now, essentially, if you make an honest mistake and you've acted in good faith based on the ATO advice available at the time, we will take all of those facts into consideration on a case-by-case -case basis um, and we welcome examples of clients that fall into this category for our consideration. So from a practical compliance perspective, we have published our practical compliance guideline and that's PCG 2020-4 and with respect to schemes in relation to the JobKeeper payment. And what it basically says is that, you know, our compliance focus will be particularly directed towards schemes where there has not been a genuine fall in turnover in substance, but arrangements are contrived to ensure the turnover test is satisfied. So our focus is really on those organisations or entities that may, may be actually contriving arrangements um, to um, be eligible for the JobKeeper um, payment scheme. So if you've made an honest mistake, um, you know, we will um, look at all the circumstances um, and we really don't want to be giving um, you, um, you know, any disadvantage if you've relied on advice in good faith. Excellent. Thanks, Jennifer. I, th I think um, something you hear a little bit about is people saying, oh, look, we haven't received the payment yet. But a lot of times when they explore that, uh, the, the final step in the process, so the monthly declaration reconfirming eligible employees and the updated turnover and projected turnover, a lot of times people have forgotten they have to do that 
or maybe haven't uh, ha haven't done it so that it's it's actually been received by the tax office. So that's a very important tip too, I think, for not-for-profits. If you're wondering where your payment is, make sure you've done that monthly declaration because that's kind of a precondition to the payment payment flowing. Jennifer, I, I, I've really appreciated your time this morning. Are there any other issues you would like to cover on? Uh, I, I think, um, Michael, um, I think that point that you've just made is really important. So, you know, really the first payments commenced in that first week of May um, and other key dates can be found um, on our website. But, you know, just a couple of key points, um, remembering as a not-for-profit, all employers that um, are part of the JobKeeper scheme, you have to have paid each employee the equivalent minimum of $1,500 per each fortnight. So you ha actually have to have made that payment to the employee and the JobKeeper payment is a payment that occurs in arrears. So once you have made that payment to your eligible employees, you actually make that monthly declaration to us and then the money is, um, you know, paid to you. But um, there, as I mentioned um, at the beginning, Michael, there is a lot of information um, available um, on our website. Again, we've got the general advice. We've also got um, the tailored support for not-for-profits. Um, you've got the 1300 130 248 number that um, not-for-profits can call Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can also email us at atoendorsements at ato.gov.au or subscribe to the newsletter. So all of those avenues allow not-for-profits to get the information that they require. And failing all of that, I put my um, email address out there in the public domain. So I'm more than happy to receive um, any inquiries. Um, the final um, couple of points that um, I would like to perhaps um, touch on, Michael, is keeping the system fair. So if you feel that an individual or business is not acting within the guidelines of the COVID-19 measures, you can actually make a tip off to the ATO visit making a tip-off and we have been receiving quite a lot of information from the community um, you know advising us of wrongdoing and unfortunately even though most people are trying to do the right thing we're also aware of a significant increase um, in Australians being targeted by scams so if you think or know anyone that's been contacted by a scammer or you're suspicious about an email sms or phone call that you've received Received, check with us first and again you can go onto our website and there's a tab there that says verify or report a scam um, and we um, will investigate um, you know those incidences as well excellent excellent well Jennifer on behalf of tax banner we'd love to say thank you for participating in today's tax yak um, you are an assistant commissioner of the tax office with a, a special and very important role in leading the not-for-profit centre and government uh, and an incredibly important role at the moment. So a big thank you to you and your team and the ATO for what they're, what they're doing at the moment. Uh, as I say, I'm Michael Doran, a director of Tax Ed. Um, it's been great for me to be able to have hosted this Tax Act today. Um, if you are a not-for-profit organisation, a local council or a government department, 
and you'd like to know more about what TaxEd does, please have a look at taxed.com.au. Uh, again, thank you to Tax Banner for letting me host today's podcast. If you have listened and you've enjoyed what you've heard and you have an idea about what might be some good content for a, a Tax Shack podcast, please don't be shy. Hesitate our team or please email our team on pod, podcast at taxbanter.com.au. Um, as Jennifer mentioned earlier, we will be making available a transcript of a lot of the material that's been covered in today's session um, to, to our listeners. Um, further details on, on how to get that we'll make available to those who are listening to the podcast. But in closing, thank you again, Jennifer. Um, keep up the good work to our listeners. All the very best. Um, thank you for listening and stay safe. Best wishes to all. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, everyone.